lovely to see you today. And uh, you know what? There aren't many empty seats in here, are there? Just for some of you know, if you come in late, actually, the best seats are right down here at the front center. You know what you pay for these seats if you go to Toronto, you know. So uh, here you go. <laughs> um, it's a wonderful thing to get together and to lift our voices up in praise of our wonderful God, isn't it? There's something encouraging about this, and God knows what we need, and God calls us to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and to encourage one another in this way. So I'm really thankful that you're here. Thank you for coming today, and pray that God will really bless you in all of this. Uh, I know, too, that we're right in the midst of, or at least in the second week of, 100 days of prayer. And uh, many of you are praying uh, with, a, with a small group of three people every week. And I know that some of you were not able to get into a group like that. And I want you to know there are no second-class citizens at Forest View Church. Is that okay? That if you were not able to get into a group, you are not in some different other lesser category than other people at the church. But if you come to the place where you want to get into a group now that you hear about it, and maybe you have some time or make some time, we could still arrange this. Is that true, Lois? We could arrange it. So if you're interested in joining a, the 100 Days of Prayer, um, then please just let uh, the office know sometime this week. Um, Nehemiah, who we're looking at over these weeks, is a um, guy who faces a mission impossible. It's an incredibly impossible task that is before him. And um, his mission started with prayer. He got this burden on his heart that the walls were all broken down and in rubble in Jerusalem and that the gates had been burned and there was no protection for the city at all. And uh, it started as a burden in his heart. He just couldn't shake it. And then he started to pray. And we're praying 100 days of prayer. He prayed for uh, quite a long while. How many months was it? Again, does anybody remember? Four months that he prayed. And we're not quite four months with 100 days. We're pretty close to it. And so this prayer, God puts a burden on and we pray. And so this is what we're praying for, for God, through his spirit, to powerfully work here in Forest View among all of us and then making a difference out into the community. So you saw the whole list of things for the Advent season that are coming up. This is, these are ways that God wants to really bless the community out there in the name of Jesus so that people will know that God has really come. <laughs> God has really come here in the person of Jesus, and Jesus is the way to know God. So anyway, thank you for praying, and we'll, we'll keep on praying for sure. Um, have you ever faced an impossible situation? Maybe you're in, in one right now. Maybe you lost sleep last night, even though you got an extra hour, ostensibly anyway. Maybe you lost sleep, and that's not funny. When there's something on our hearts that's just a burden, you can't shake it, it's, it, it seems like a, a, a crisis. Well, we all face those times. And Nehemiah is facing such a time. He is coming back to Jerusalem 
Um, I thought Mark did a wonderful job last week of helping us get the oversight of Nehemiah and how he had achieved this place in a foreign society that did not believe the way he believed, that did not practice what he practiced, but um, there he was. He rose as, a, as a, a man of integrity in a foreign culture, and he was shining for God. And so he won favor uh, with the king in order to go back to Jerusalem and to build the wall there. So um, let us keep in mind when we face our formidable circumstances and our situations that seem to be mission impossible, that this is the same God. We are walking with the same God. Are you with me? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as he's done miracles in the past, he can do miracles today and ongoing. So let's pause and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your reality and your goodness and for these uh, worship songs that we've just been singing to you. Oh, your overwhelming love appears reckless in in such abundance and extravagance of love, reaching out to us, Lord. And we're humbled that you would go to all that trouble, Lord Jesus, to leave the glories of heaven, to come here to this earth, to walk this impeccable life in such a broken and sin-filled world. And you were like us in every way, except you didn't sin. And you went to the cross for us, you took our place. You were in our place there so that we can be forgiven and we can be set on a new trajectory, a new path for our lives as a, as a group of people and as individuals together in, in your church. So we thank you and praise you for this. And we thank you, Lord, that as with Nehemiah, when we face situations that seem impossible, we remember that you are the God who makes all things possible. So would you open our eyes now and help us to see wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray. Amen. So, uh, part of my mission impossible today is that I'm supposed to do chapters 2 and 3 and 4 for you in 30 minutes. So, good luck with that, right? <laughs> but the real mission impossible for Nehemiah was to head back to Jerusalem, which is where we come here now. And the wall of Jerusalem in some places was three to five meters thick. Now, this is one, two, three meters thick. Can you imagine building up a wall that's that thick and you're supposed to go up? And the heights were different all the way around. And there were quite a number of sections that had been totally broken down. In fact, we'll read in a minute that when Nehemiah went around to try to just case the joint and see what it was like, that he couldn't even get by. So he's already, this man needs a miracle. And the first miracle I think we'll see up here, the first miracle is that he actually gets involved. He had a cushy job. He had a great job. Mark made it very clear to us last week. I mean, he could have stayed there and been comfortable for the rest of his life. But God put a burden on his heart, and his first miracle was that he got involved and he took the risk of showing a sad face to the king and then 
uh, asking this request to go back to Jerusalem and build the walls. The second miracle was that he got out of the king's court alive because <laughs> you weren't supposed to have a sad face in front of the king and he could have lost his head, literally lost his head uh, by being sad in, in the face of the king. But he got out of the court alive plus he had incredible resources to take with him. He had a bunch of letters to the nations he was going to be traveling through, and he had letters for all kinds of resources like wood and stuff like that to rebuild the wall and the gates. So he's already had two miracles. Now, there's a need for a third miracle. Here's the thing. He comes back to Jerusalem, and there weren't many people in Jerusalem. The people were kind of scattered all around the place like this. And so he needs for the people to catch a, the vision, the big, big vision that it might be possible to build these walls. To catch the vision and to overcome great diversity because they were spread all around, living in, living in different places. They had been in, in captivity before and these people had come back and they were all full of different experiences and, and different ex even expressions of faith and so on. And here they are back in the land, overcoming great diversity to work in unity. But here's the secret. Trusting God. They're trusting God. So their faith in God would overcome their diversity. So let's look at the passage of scripture here and see. Um, and if you don't, Mark gave you a break last week to not stand up. It was very nice of you, Mark. But I'm going to ask you to stand up. We're going to read this first passage together, all right? We may not do this every Sunday. It's not, you know, but we're going to do it today. <laughs> okay. So help me read this thing together, would you? I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. So he's the only guy on a horse, okay? No other horses. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So you get the picture here. He's the only guy on the steed, but his horse can't even get through because there's so much rubble everywhere. The battering ram had come and just smashed those walls, and there's stuff all over the place, rubble. So where are we? So I went back up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. You want to pause there for a minute? A good leader is able to verbalize what the crisis issue is. Everybody knows the walls are broken down. Everybody knows that the gates have been burned. But he says, you know what? We got a crisis here. Look at this. The whole walls is just the gates. So he verbalizes that. He makes it very clear. Now here's the plan. Come. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me, and what the king had said to me. 
And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Okay, you can be seated. Let's just look at this text here for a second, okay? He makes it really clear what the issue is, right? Like, we're destroyed here. Then he gives the plan, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And then he gives this motivation, and we will no longer be in disgrace. Now, there are several kinds of motivation, right? There's extrinsic motivation from the outside. So we try to get people to do things by telling them they're going to get some kind of reward or something like that. I mean, you do it with your kids, right? If you have kids. Um, Okay, clean up your room. And you can eat some of that garbage that you collected last weekend when you went around for Halloween, right? Something like that. Or you clean up your room and you can have screen time or however you choose to do it. There's some kind of reward if you do this thing. That's part of the motivation, extrinsic. But there's also intrinsic motivation that appeals to something bigger inside our hearts. And that's what he's doing here. He says, oops, can you go back one? Thanks. He says, come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. This was a shame and honor culture. And they were sitting in shame. They're sitting in disgrace. They're supposed to be the people of God. And look at their capital city. Destroyed, walls down. How's this going to go? Can't we move from shame to a position of honor again. He appeals to this thing inside their hearts, but he does one step further, which is even bigger again, because he's saying it's not just about us and about our shame and about whatever it is. It's a reminder that God is in this thing. He says, and I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me. That would be miracle one and miracle two, right? that God had moved his heart and put a burden on him to do something, and then God had actually caused the king, the mighty king of Persia, Artaxerxes, to give him a whole bunch of stuff to, to make it happen. I also told him about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, they caught the vision, they replied, and they said, let's build a wall, come on. Let's do it. They caught that vision. Quite, quite wonderful and um, quite a miracle. Miracle number three. God's character has been, they've been reminded of God's character in this. That what is happening here, Almighty God is already involved in this thing. I'm just inviting you to step in and move along with God because God's already doing stuff. You see this? God's already moved his heart. God's already moved uh, Artaxerxes' heart. So would you join and get on board with God and move along? And the people bought it. It was exciting to them. Something bigger was happening here than just them because God was at work and the invitation was to join in. It was exciting for them. And you know what? It's exciting for us also. When we are invited into the work that God is doing within a community like Forest View right here, that we are called by God to come together, just like the people here, to work together to overcome 
uh, diversity and differences and to work for unity because of the greatness of our God and what he's done. Because he's much bigger than our diversities. So the challenge is this, that for us, we are to receive the goodness and the love of God and the truth of God into our own lives. And then we are to generously, liberally, recklessly, we use that word again, give it out to others and make a difference in the world in the name of Jesus. It's a lovely thing. Our lives, like theirs, are not just about ourselves, building our own kingdom. It's about God's kingdom and God's work in the world, and that's exciting. So Nehemiah, God wanted to build the wall up because it had been broken down. Would they join in? And in our times, God wants to bring his love and his truth out into a world that needs to know Jesus. Are you with me on this? Like, this is the truth. People are struggling out there, and they don't know the truth about Jesus. And they need to see it at work in us as a body and in us as individuals and to hear the truth as well. So that's miracle number three, that, um, that, that people catch the vision and they start rebuilding. Now, if you were to read through chapter three here, which we're not going to do, <laughs> you would see that there's a whole variety of people who are called to, um, to work on the wall. And in fact, uh, if you were to go to... Uh, verse 1, you would see that it's the chief priests who tackle a part of the wall. Now, these are the chief priests. These are, the big, these are big prestigious people around, right? They're the religious leaders. They don't do that kind of stuff. But they stepped up, and the leaders stepped in and started to do the work of rebuilding the wall, getting their hands dirty, mortar, bricks, carrying stuff up, whatever it took to get that done. You'd see in verse 12 that a guy named Shalom and his daughters rebuilt the wall. God is an equal opportunity employer. That's good news, isn't it? <laughs> You'd see that there were goldsmiths. If you looked at verse 8, there were goldsmiths and perfume makers who left that work, that very fine work, right? And came and slugged big bricks, mortars. People really inconveniencing themselves because they had caught this big vision and they were working together in unity. This is what we call synergy. You know this word. Synergy, it's a beautiful thing. The, where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So if you have a two by four and it has certain strength, okay, if you nail another two by four to it, it doesn't just bear double the load, it bears more than double the load. Here's an example from um, the Royal Winter Fair. It's on in Toronto right now at the X, right? Is anybody going? Just, just uh, one person. <laughs> Good, enjoy it, it'll be great. Went a couple of years and one of the highlights was the big horses, right? The draft horses. So here's an illustration about the draft horses at the Royal Winter Fair. The largest of the draft horses is the Shire. And it can pull a five ton load. Five tons. A yoked pair can haul. So if one Shire can haul 
five tons. How much do you think a yoked pair can haul? Now I'm open for some responses. Okay, somebody over here. 12 ton, all right, so more than double, instead of 10, 12, you're wrong. Anybody here? <laughs> yes, 15, that's, that's like triple, you're wrong, <laughs> sorry, yes? 18. 18.5 tons, a yoked pair. Is this amazing? This is the power of synergy. And this is what happens in a church and among the people of God when we say we're going to make every effort to guard the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How amazing is our God? And Nehemiah discovers this, that all these different people get together and they start to rebuild the wall. It's an amazing thing. You know what? I see this at Forest View. I'll just tell you this. I see this in children's ministry. There are people up there every Sunday teaching your kids. And it's a bunch of people doing something that one person could never do. I see it in worship ministry here. I like, I like the music. Where's Cole? Don't tell him. I really like the music. Oh, he's back there. I love the music here. I love how our music lifts us up. I love the way you sing. But it takes all of us, doesn't it, eh? And I know singing is not everybody's favorite thing, but... It's synergy. There's a beauty. There's a lifting up of all of us as we do this. And I could go through. There's just a, a ton of cooperative work that is done here, synergy within the church, which is God's will for his people. It's his plan. I got a few other illustrations here. Unity, Floyd McClung wrote an interesting book called The Father Heart of God. And he said this, disunity never takes place because of disagreement. It's because we go beyond disagreement to judging someone else's heart. Just find this very, this is speaking to me, okay? Not preaching at you. We go beyond disagreement and we judge another person. Another quote, unity. Unity is the spiritual maturity that places confidence in God's work in a fellow Christian. That places confidence in God's work in a fellow Christian, which enables us to walk arm in arm even when we cannot see eye to eye. I find this a challenge. Ruth and I were talking about this, how sometimes there are people that we find difficult to understand <laughs> and difficult to like. And how when we make the move of uh, reconciliation and that God often does miraculous work there as we seek to guard the unity of the Spirit, it's a beautiful thing. John Newton, you know the Amazing Grace guy? Guy who wrote Amazing Grace. He confessed his propensity to judging other Christians. In, in one of his letters, he said, this is my tendency to judge other people. And then he says this, when our dear Lord Jesus questioned Peter, Peter, after his fall and his recovery, Jesus did not say, art thou wise, learned, and eloquent? No. 
He did not say, art thou clear, sound, and orthodox? No, but only this. Lovest thou me? The love of Jesus unites us. Is this true? When we have opened our lives and repented to Jesus, repent simply means turning. It's a turning. It's a turning away from our own way and from the way of life that was killing us anyway and turning over to Jesus' way and walking with him. And we confess our sin to him and we say, I want to leave it there. Forgive me. Thank you for what Jesus did on the cross to forgive me and to make me new. And now I take Jesus as my forgiver and my leader to lead me the rest of my life. This unites us, and we may have differences on all kinds of things, but this unites us. So, is there diversity here among us? Sure there is. Uh, We all have different personality types and insights and different capacities and uh, different levels of faith even. And uh, in terms of personality types and so on, if I were to come up to you today and say, Oh, you're, just, you're looking great today. You are just looking great. Uh, if you were an optimist, you would say, well, yeah, it's a lovely day anyway, and yes, thank you very much, it's great. If you were a pessimist, you would say, is the light not good in here or something? You're not, you're not seeing very well or what? If you were a narcissist and I came up to you and said, you're looking great today, you would say, Well, it's very interesting. I was just thinking the same thing. Tell me more. (laughs) And if you were a cynic, you would say, you're trying to get me to do children's ministry at Forest View? (laughs) We're all different, aren't we? We all respond in different ways because God has made us that way. And it's good. So this miracle of unity and working together and working in that unity, it's a beautiful thing. I see it happening here. I thank God for this. But there's a fourth miracle that's needed here because as the people started to work and they uh, were picking up the rocks and putting them up on the walls and doing the mortar and all that kind of stuff, they, they got awfully tired. And besides that, there was a whole passel of people outside who were against them, who were who were after them, and I know my time is just flying on, but I want us to read this anyway. These are the, the, this fourth miracle, the people when discouraged experience encouragement in the character of God. So I'm going to read this real fast. Let's see if you can follow me. Uh, Usually you can, can you give me the text up there now? Thank you. This is Nehemiah chapter four. So chapter three is all about the various people who built the different parts of the wall. When Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. This guy is a real enemy of the people. He ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria. He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah, another enemy, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they're building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of, can you, can you see everybody just laughing and mocking? A fox can knock the thing. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. 
for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. This is called an imprecatory prayer, where if that person's been doing bad on you, you pray bad back on them. Now, Jesus had a different idea in mind. He said that we were to do something else to our enemies, <laughs> to love our enemies, to pray for those, to bless them. So we're going to leave that right there, and we'll keep reading, okay? Uh, so the, our enemy said that. So where do we go from here? So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. So they're halfway there. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, stir up trouble against it, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. You notice there's prayer and action. It's, it's a good thought. Uh, and meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the labors is giving out and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Now, I want to ask you a question. When was there more rubble? When they started building the wall? Or now that it's halfway done? Just help me, somebody. <laughs> okay, at the beginning, there's rubble all over the place. They couldn't even get a horse through there. Now they got half of it up on the wall again. And, but see, their vision had changed. Now they're looking at what? The rubble instead of the greatness and the glory of God and the vision that God had put on their hearts. So they need to be reminded again of the character of God. Also our enemies said, before they know it or see it, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. So, so uh, then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they'll attack. This is all pretty bad news. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall, the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. The Hebrew word for remember is zakar. Would you say that? Zakar. I remember in my Hebrew class, my Hebrew prof saying, one of the most important words in Hebrew is zakar. What on earth would that be an important word for? He said, because it is so easy to forget the Lord. We look at the circumstances, we forget the Lord, we forget his power, we forget his love for us. Zakar. Remember, he says, remember the Lord. Shift your vision from the rubble to the greatness of God. Remember the Lord, he is great. Great in power, great in love, great in omnipresence, great in every way possible. He is great and he is awesome, which means when you think of him, we should be full of awe. Oh, our mouth should drop open. You know, oh, he's so great. Our God is so great. And this is where we get our encouragement, isn't it? Our unity is not based upon our words and our deeds. Our unity is based upon the word who became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of God. Jesus, who went to the cross. This is the gospel, right? The gospel has a face and it's Jesus. And when we remember him, we remember how great our God is and what he's done for us in the person of Jesus, this overcomes so much. Remember, oh, I wanted to go back to that. Remember the Lord. <laughs> uh, 
Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. In other words, we stand together. With, we don't fight one another. There's an enemy. We stand with one another. Okay. Are you facing an impossible situation? We have a God who is both great and full of awe. Awesome. And he is with you. If you've given your life to him and opened your life to him, if you've trusted Jesus as your personal savior, he is absolutely with you and he's made a promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. Nehemiah experienced this as they built the wall. The unity of God, diversity, working together, catching the vision, working together. And our encouragement comes from the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this lesson. We thank you, Lord, for the great truth that you are great and you are awesome. And we see your greatness in creation. We see your greatness in making us in your image. We see your greatness in working in our hearts and lives over the past. And we see your greatness most of all in the person of Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, coming here among us, living, teaching, loving, healing, and dying on the cross for the sins of humanity, and resurrecting in great power, incredible power, and ascending back into heaven where he sits as the ruler of the universe above all, and sending the Holy Spirit to us to live within us, to seal us up, to help us and strengthen us every day What a wonder you are, O Lord. What a wonder. And so we pause now to celebrate and remember Zakar. To remember you, Lord Jesus, and what you've done for us. Leaving the grandeurs of heaven, the glories of heaven, to come here to this earth, broken, suffering, death-filled earth, to come here as the light of the world, and to be rejected and to suffer and to be nailed to a cross knowing all this beforehand doing this out of love for us it's an amazing thing Lord not that we love you but that you loved us and gave yourself up for us how amazing this is you are great and you are awesome and so we take this time to remember to Zakar, what Jesus has done for us. And as we take the bread, we remember that your body was actually broken for us on the cross. And as we take the cup, we remember that your blood was poured out for us in our place on that cross. And that you made this sacrifice because of your amazing, incredible love for every one of us. Because We're precious in your sight. We thank you. We're humbled, Lord, for the opportunity to celebrate you in this way. And we ask that you will feed us, Lord. You will feed us.
as we take part. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I ask the people who are going to help us serve here today. If you would come now, please, and just prepare this. And uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to say this. Over and over and over and over again, we come to this table, don't we? Once, we were a people estranged. But now, we are one in the love of Christ. How amazing this is. So I'm going to ask you to take the bread and to take the cup and to hold them both. Don't, don't eat them right away. And then after uh, we all have it, then we're going to eat the bread together and we're going to drink the cup together as a symbol of our unity in Jesus Christ. Can you do that? Just hold the bread and hold the cup and we'll worship together. Thank you so much.